Hey. Come hurricane, come wind and storm. Come get me, my man. Blood clot, rice eyes, eh? Fucking hell. Come for me, man. That's hardcore. <laughs> right. right. Get me fucking started. Let's go. Mm. I think it. I think it's right. That's the problem is I can't see the thing while I'm talking. It's recording. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What yeah. do you want to look at? Um, <laughs> level boys. That'd be right. It'd be right. That's Arlene. Here it peeking. is. Shall we? Shall we, are we getting ready to start? Yeah. Right. Well, it says recording, and the, and the numbers are moving. So oh, that's good. Right. Let's start then. Do you want a secondary record, just in case? Can do. Yeah. On that note, welcome to the Armist Inquisition time. Uh, Saturday, the 1st of June. Yeah. And we're not coming from Armish Towers this week because we're in a, a mystery location. We are, top secret. Somewhere deep in the PR2 postcode. Yeah. <laughs> and that's because, uh, as well as me, Armish Phil and Armish Ben, we've got Jim Bamber in the house. Yeah, man. A.K.A. Bam Jimber. Bamba Towers. A.K.A. Bamba Towers. Bamba Towers. Um, yes. Welcome. The Ingle White OG. Yeah. How are you, Jim? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, I think. You think? I'm all right. I've got a list, basically, um, on this piece of paper. I've got drummer, Young Ones, Alexis Sale, drugs, stand-up comedy, <laughs> Dire Straits with a question mark. Dire Straits. Cancer and farming. Right. And my idea for this conversation is to just say, well, let's start from the top. Who's that all about? Then? It's about you, Jim. <laughs> oh, it's it? like your life story. <laughs> right. Because you've been, you've lived a hell of a life, haven't you? Compared to the average person? Um, I guess. I guess, you know, it, it, it was all done by accident, really. It wasn't, well, no, some of it was, um, you know, some of it was on purpose. But, uh, you know, a lot of it was by accident. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from the beginning, well, I, yeah, I was born um, in a little village just outside Preston here called Inglewhite. Nice place, nice pub that green man. Come from a big, uh, yeah, big farming family, crossroads really, you know. There's, there's a green bit in the middle with a Celtic cross and then that's it, four yeah. roads in and out. That's where the one green man is, yeah. And yeah. one little chapel, you know, and... Um, uh, it was my dad's fault, really. He um, he put me in the um, Boys Brigade marching band when I was, what, about seven, I think. Is that where they play the snare? Seven or eight, yeah. They that, have yeah. the snare strapped to the belly. You stick your sticks up your nose. Oh, oh yeah. 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 We used to have this uh, kind of... He was a regimental sergeant major, you know. You know, he used to come up behind you and go... Am I hitting you, boy? No, Sergeant. Well, I'll fucking should be. I'm standing on your air. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> that kind of guy. And he used to slap the back of your thighs if you were out of time. With uh, what? With his regimental sergeant major stick, you know, the ones that they <laughs> tuck under there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> where? Under there. And, uh, but a great grounding, man, you know, because I learned the rudiments mm. from this, from an older guy who was the lead snare drummer. And, uh, yeah, we used to we used to do things like mayor's <coughs> parades, you know, in, here in Preston and Fleetwood and Blackpool and stuff. We always used to try and get behind the girl guides. And, uh. <laughs> you know, and it was always, uh, you know, three rolls in and a bit of atmosphere, you know. And then a, all this cacophony of... Brass. Know, wasn't exactly, you know, shorty. You know, wasn't exactly trombone shorty from New Orleans. You know, wasn't exactly <laughs> that. It was, you know, onward Christian soldiers and all that stuff. Mm. So, but I mean, that was it's great grounding for me. So I've always blamed my dad, really. That's where you did, got your interest into in yeah. drumming. Well, after a couple of years, you could bring your own drum home. Oh, yeah. And it's a guy, I'm only about eight or nine now, you know, but you could bring it home and, 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 you know, it was your responsibility to look after it. Yeah. So you had to learn how to tighten it and get it to sound exactly like... Change the skins and... Yeah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. So, and I... And, I, and round about then, I had um, I had an uncle here in... May you rest in peace. Uncle Sammy. I think everybody's got an Uncle Sammy, you know, aren't they? <laughs> the one that gives you half a shandy. Right, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we used to have joysticks in those days with cigarettes about a foot long, and you just break them down. Or really? Or woodbine, you know. Oh, you could give me break a your cigarettes and up, up. And up a shandy, yeah. Right. You'd better buy them in sweet shops, wouldn't they? Just wander in, they didn't care how old you were or anything, no. you know. Uh, so Uncle's, uh, Uncle Sammy. Uncle Sammy, yeah, he used to take me to Preston North End, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, we'd stop off at uh, places like the Tithe Barn, you know, oh. which is still there, but it's a lot posher than it was. He used to have sawdust on the floor. Mm. Yeah. And I'll never forget going in with him, and he bought me a half a shandy. And, um, and there were three girls on a bench. And in those days, this was, what, how old am I now? This is 1907 or 8. It's 1957, 58. Wow. You know. And they used to have this big beehive. Mm. Beehive haircuts, you know. Like Wilma Flintstone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enormous, you know, all with cross legs and high heels about six inches, you know. Wow. And I remember, I remember my Uncle Sammy saying to me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back in them days. I remember my Uncle Sammy saying to me, um, just wink at that one on the end there, Jim. Just wink <laughs> at that one on the end. So I winked at her like that and she just lifted her stiletto up and it said 30 shilling on the bottom of it oh, never <laughs> <laughs> really you know, uncle sammy <laughs> fucking you know. hell uncle sammy so what would what would 30 shillings buy you uh in them days other than a shag one oh, shame i was only fucking eight all right <laughs> fuck me you know i didn't march across and go here's 30 bob <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, like, because I don't remember shillings, you see, so I wonder, I wonder what exchange, you know, would that be like? Well, a shilling is uh, five fifty quid today. Yeah, shilling is sixty p. Uh, yeah, so uh, what, three quid is it, or one pound fifty? No, it's fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> 
<coughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, we've just found out that we have no mathematical geniuses Where, in the room. Where's Rachel Riley when you need her? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. The, it's uh, a lot of money in them days, in, yeah. in other words. Uh, and the other side of that, while I was doing the 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 marching band drums and learning how to do, you know, paradiddles and two-stroke rolls and all that fucking shit, you know. Um, my uncle Sammy bought me the first record, which was on a, which was on a, you know, one of those kind of dinner plate type type records. Not a wax cylinder. Seventy-eight. <laughs> No, you cheeky monkey. <laughs> Not that old. It was an old 78. It was an old 78 and it was... Um, it was... Um, dang, 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 uh, Jay Last Rock. Went to, yeah, Jay Last Rock and it just... It rocked me on the back of my heels, man. I thought, mm. what? Oh, yes, I've got goosebumps now just thinking about it. Oh, that's that's powerful yeah. song, that. Yeah, man. Would that have been most people's first introduction to rock and roll, JLS Rock, do you think? Um, I think so. Uh, there was a tour which I didn't get to see by, um, you know, uh, what, the, what was the guy's name? Bill Haley and the oh, Comets, yeah. who were the first kind of rock thing that came over. I didn't get to see that, and I think Elvis. I, I, I don't know. My head's a bit muddled about what came first, uh, Elvis or, or Haley. I think. I think Elvis was first. I yeah. think Elvis was probably first. Um, one, two, three o'clock for you know that guy. But after that, I just, I just really got into it. You know, that ignited your passion for oh, music. God, yeah, and um, when I got a bit, and my parents sent me away to school. All right, boarding school. Yeah, boarding school, yeah. I'm an expat schoolboy, don't you know? What, what? Right. Yes. Yeah, yes. I occasionally slip into the Colonel Nasty. <laughs> yeah. Hello, this is Bamba Taz here. My name's Colonel Nasty. <laughs> That's my dog, Biter. Get down! Biter! <laughs> down! Good dog. <laughs> so is that is it school where you lost your, your accent then? Or where you gained yeah. your accent? Yeah. Was it at school? I think so. And uh, I hated it. I fucking hated it. Uh, I mean, I was sent away at the age of eight through the Mersey Tunnel, you know. I, I, I hate going through the Mersey Tunnel because it churns me up every time I, you know. And it was on, it was in Hoylake on the end of the Wirral, mm. you know. But I carried that over, uh, you know, because they had a kind of army cadet force which had a band, mm. you know. So, uh, and I was at that school until I was about 13. But the other thing that happened to me along the way there was um, a guy called Tibby Tabar, who was, uh, a, a, he was, um, he had blonde hair, but he used to comb it like Elvis, you know, brill creamed, <laughs> you know, with a duck's ass at the back and quip at the front, you know. And I was forever trying to get it right, but I couldn't get it. And he introduced me to all kinds of music, all the, all that early rock and roll, you know, um, <clears throat> summertime blues, you know, uh, you know, all that stuff. Um, and of course, by the time that I I'd, I'd got through that school. You know, there was we had the Beatles and the Stones. You know, mm. so oh. at the age of about thirteen, 
Uncle Sammy took me to the cabin. Oh, Saturday afternoon, they used to Uncle have Sammy again. Yeah, what a legend. hero. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, they used to have the under-16s on a Saturday afternoon. Mm. All right. Right. Mm. And uh, there was bands like the Big Three, Farron's Flamingos. Oh, you know. A, 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 a reggae band called The Chants. Um, mm. You know. And it was Matthew Street, I don't know, the old cabin. It absolutely stank because it was just, it was like vegetable warehouses, mm. you know. And he used to go down these stairs. I mean, the, the cabin there now is absolutely nowhere near where no, it used to be. No, it's just you know, a replica. This was it? just like a, a a basement storage place, you know, with a curved roof and mm. everything. And a, oh, you could see the sweat just like rolling down the walls like water. Yeah. You know, it was unbelievable. But it, it was, yeah, great. So, yeah, I had that kind of thing going as well. Did, but, um, sorry, go on. No, it's all right, go on. Did, um, you said that you hated school, you know, when mm. you were like eight and 13. Did the, um, the drumming with the cadets keep you, that keep you going in a way? Well, I, I think that was, you know, that was where I got, um, that was where I got angry. Got your frustration out on the drums? Yeah. Oh, all, all my life, man. Wow. All my life. All my life. Um, uh, and I suppose, it, you know, it, it's a good place to share as any. I mean, I was got at by a priest. Fucking hell. You know? Really? And, um, well, I was a curly-haired young boy with long eyelashes, you know? Pretty oh. little thing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you get angry, man, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, what I've learned now through processes, various processes, therapy and blah, blah, is mm. that I misguided all my anger towards my parents oh, for God. sending me there. And I mean, it wasn't their fucking fault, you know. It wasn't their fault. Uh, you know, I misguided all that. And so I, I did my level best to to go against every everything my parents ever said or helped or held true. Very religious people, my parents, well, they are, but right. lovely, you know. Yeah, congregationalist, chapel people, you know. Mm. Real, honest, loving people. But yeah. to me, they were the enemy. Because they sent you to boarding yeah. school. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, it's looking back at it now, you would say, well, I, from my perspective, it's like they think they were doing the best for you. By well, sending I, you, to I, a... see, I, uh, you know, I'm going to the kind of end of the story now, but I came back up from London in 1996. Yeah. Because my old man had a nervous breakdown. Wow. And um, I looked after him until he died. Mm. And so I, I got to know him mm. and we got to talk. And, uh, you know, I said I was very sorry for all the shit I put him through. And um, I'll tell you a bit about that in a minute. And he said he was very sorry for sending me away. Oh. But at the time, because he hadn't had the opportunity of that kind of education, and he he was a self-made man, he'd mm. built his business up. He had the means. And, and he had the means, so he, he sent me to those schools. Yeah, so as a parent, and you're a parent, Ben, yeah. I think um, if I had the means, I would pay for private education. Boarding's mm. a different thing. I'm guessing that... All the private schools were boarders back in them days. Yeah. Whereas now it's different. Yeah. Um, and all boys. 
Yes, split, gender boys. split, yeah, yeah. Um, because I went from there to a public school. In between Cleveland and Fleetwood, over there, Russell. Oh, Russell, yeah. I was at Russell, yeah. yeah. Public school boy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing, the other thing I wanted to mention about prep, prep, what they call prep school, mm. is that I met a guy um, who was my best friend until he left. He was a year older than me. Mm. Um, called Wonga Mazimba. Wow. And this guy was uh, his his parents were from Sierra Leone. He came from Leeds, mm -hmm. and he was his father was a surgeon, a doctor, and he taught me how to play drums with my hands. Oh, oh right, nice. bongos and hand, well, no, hand I'll, tell you, I'll tell you how it worked. We used to have this room with lockers, mm. our own private lockers, which were about a foot square, a foot cube, you know, with a little door. And you could keep your books and your and your Mars bars and whatever. Mm. So everybody had different amounts of stuff in. Oh, and geez. he used to teach me how to. You, you know, when you when you get your hands and you do that kind of and, and with the heel of your hand like yeah. that, boom, boom. You know. Yeah, the heel he, of your he palm. Used he used to play on these lockers, mm -hmm. and I used to think, "Fucking hell, that's amazing!" Wow. You know. And no two lockers would sound the same either, would they? I bet. Correct. Yeah, because of the yeah. uh, volume inside. Of, yeah, yeah. Different acoustic properties. Yeah. And the other thing about Wonga was, because I love boxing, man, you know, I'm going to be listening to the, you know, Joshua fight later on. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. I'm rooting for the fat bass of me. I want to... <laughs> <laughs> it's not Fury, is it? No, no. Um, Tyson Fury, no? No, it's uh, Anthony Joshua against Ruiz. Reese is a big fat Mexican key. Yeah. He'll spark him, man, you know. But I'm just hoping he catches him with one, you know. <laughs> Durable and Mexican. Yeah. Come on, you fat bassers. Fat bassers of the world unite. <laughs> you know. They're talking about Alexis. I'll tell you about that, that later. Oh, yeah. We'll, but, get, we'll get to Alexis Sell, I'm sure. Wonga was a boxer and I was a boxer and we were exactly the same height and shape and size. And we used to get to the final of the school boxing mm. in our weight every year. Right. Now, this is my best friend. He used to beat the living shite out of <laughs> Every year. Every fucking... Until he left, and then I won the cup. But this is a this is funny thing about it. The funny thing about it was, you know, when the referee brings you together and you touch gloves before you get started? Yeah. You know, we used to come together like that. We used to touch gloves, and Wonka used to look me straight in the eye and say, Jim... I am very, very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Before the bucket fight. <laughs> you know, Mind uh, games. <laughs> I, I often wonder what he's doing now. I've tried to find him, you know, on, with Facebook on and social, media, social yeah. media and all that, but I can't find him. So, so he got, that was the early days. and um, You kind of glossed over something mm. um, earlier. Now... I don't know if you if you're not comfortable about talking about it, then uh, does not. No, that's not. okay. Don't worry. Go well, ahead. Well, you talked about. I'm an open book. The priest. Yeah. At school. Uh huh. I wondered if you wanted to talk about that or not, but. Well, it's, I'll leave it to you. To be honest, um, people listening are going to think, "Why the fuck you just skipped over that?" And that's quite yeah. important. To be honest, in, in in today's in today's world, 
unfortunately, it's so prevalent, mm -hmm. you know. It's so prevalent. I mean, later on when I get to my story later on, I mean, I, I'm a... I'm a highly qualified, I, I, I did a psychology degree. Um, I'm a highly qualified psychotherapist, mm -hmm. addictions therapist. And one of my first jobs was working at Lancaster Castle Farms mm. with the young oh, offenders. Oh, yeah, I've worked there. Yeah, have you? I have, yeah. Yeah, with the young offenders, um, you know, getting them off shit, heroin and stuff. Because they had drugs and me who will get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> drugs? What drugs? <laughs> no, but uh, and what I son, what I realised was that nine out of ten of the young guys that I was counselling in there for, you know, for drugs, drugs for drug addiction, were all abused as kids. Fucking hell! Either in the care community or by priests, parents, family members. Yeah, you know, that's so, amazing. You want so unfortunately, that, it's a very prevalent thing. Mm. You know, that uh, doesn't lessen uh, its effects on a personal level, though, does it? No, just because it's prevalent doesn't mean oh, it no. should be understated oh, how no. damaging it can be. But I was taught by people one of the gifts I, I've been given um, uh, by friends who helped me with my addiction stuff and all the rest of it is that I can bow to superior knowledge. These days, it's a gift. Mm. You know, you say that, you know, you were you were given two ears but only one mouth. Yeah. You know, although I do talk a lot, you probably know. <laughs> but uh, I, I, when I first got into what's called recovery, and I'm not going to get any more specific, um, I was told that if, if I was disturbed, which I was, then I needed to get to the bottom of the disturbance. Mm. And so that's what I did. Mm. So I went for therapy for it. Yeah. And that's where I learnt about therapy and then on and on. This is much later in life then, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is, uh, I mean, I, my, you know, what I call my rampage <laughs> through life, you know, was um, was all down to that. Mm. It was all ang anger and uh, 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 rebelliousness, you know. Yeah. You know, it's like, the, it's like uh, you know, the um, uh, what have you got to rebel against, you know? Mm. Yeah. Well, what have you got, you know? Did you keep it to yourself? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think people do. Yeah, I think you a know, lot of people do. I think you press it down, but occasionally it comes out in extreme violence. Mm. I was a nasty piece of work at times, you know. But thankfully, I had the drums, you know. And if anybody's, uh, you know, out there that's ever seen me play, I used to hit him, man, you know. Mm. I was, you know. Like John Bonham. I, yeah, Bonham, yeah, you know. I used to hit him, my knee used to come up above the bass drum rim, you know? It's a stamp on the fucking motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I used to really hit him, you know? And it's great therapy. Mm. And I've missed that since I stopped, mm. you know? I've missed that since I stopped because mm. it is great therapy, you know? I mean, so, another friend of mine um, who, who I'm very close to, um, 
the same kind of background, you know, the same kind of background. And um, he used to play in a band called Supercharge from Liverpool. Uh-huh. You know. Um, and um, when I first met him, <laughs> he was talking about um, my life's been like a fucking bulldozer driven by a blind, drunk Mexican on acid. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, so did, did, oh, go on, sorry, Ben. No, no, sorry, no, Ben. No, no, sorry, no, no, sorry. Did, um, did you lose track of Wonga after, straight after school then? Yeah. You never, kept, you never. Uh, I suppose you'd oh, been... go back to that. Yeah, well, I, I was, um, my old man wanted me to take the the eleven plus. That's right. And yeah. go to grammar school. Yeah. But I, I, but you've, as we found out tonight, you know, as a mathematician, I make a fucking like ballerina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was really good at English, and I was really huh? good at general knowledge. I got something like eighty-five in general knowledge and 95 in English, and about five in fucking ma- mathematics. You know, because the questions in those days were like, uh, if a man is travelling at 30 miles an hour on a train with two camels, how long will it take him to get to Grimsby if two fish are swimming up the channel at 40 miles an hour at 2.30 on a Thursday? <laughs> You know, mm, yeah. and I yeah. used to stare at these motherfucking things and think, well, fuck, I'm no... Fuck, if I know. Sorry. Oh. No. <laughs> I think I got my name right at the top of the page. So that, yeah. You know. Oh. So anyway, cut a long story short, I did get the 11 plus. Oh. But then I took the com- what's called the common entrance exam, uh, which was all kinds of subjects, you know, different, you know, and they had to kind of rounded it up, I guess. And I got into public school. Right. So I went to Russell then. So what? What age? Oh, take it. You, I'm thirteen. As, as soon no. as it's the, the as soon as it's called the eleven plus, I guess you leave <laughs> school at eleven and went to private school at twelve. Then no, no. no took the eleven plus and failed. And then when you get to thirteen, oh. you take the, the what's called the C common entrance right exam. Right. Because yeah, thirteen is the is the is the minimum age. Is it for public school? It was then. Right. All right. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, public school would that be boarding as well then? Yeah. And uh, and now a days it's mixed. And it's a it's a day college. People come in and out mm. on a day daily basis, and it's it's mixed. Sexes are mixed. But in those days it was yeah, just boys and you know they slept in dormitories and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Mm. You know. So by then, I, I'm a rebel without a cause by then. Yeah, really. And, oh, oh I've, I've missed something out. My, my dad has bought me a drum kit. Oh, right, your first oh, drum excellent. kit. Now, by this time, my parents had moved from here in Preston up to the Lake District. Right. But that's a lovely story, actually, because apparently when my mum and dad got married, they went on the honeymoon to Windermere mm-hmm. and... You know, Orest Head, have you ever been up there? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. You can see the whole lake and, and all that kind of stuff. And they were up there and they were walking down and they went past the girls' school there. And my mum saw this house on the side of the hill, beautiful lawns and all the rest of it. And she said, oh, early, look at that, it's beautiful. And my dad said, one of these days I'm going to buy that for you. Wow. And he did. You know. Yeah, that's nice. 
My mum couldn't didn't get on with the Lake District. You know, it's a bit it's a bit posh. Yeah. You know, because my mum was a milkmaid, really. farm farming girl. Yeah. You know, down to earth, really beautiful, lovely. So when they moved to the lakes, did they sell the farm sort of thing then and retire to the lakes? Or no, I, my younger brother, my younger brother went into the farming business. Right. I'll talk about him later. I used to love him to bits, but you know, he took over the family business, if you like, did he? Yeah. Well, my uncle had dairies. Yeah. Had a big dairy and uh, Longridge dairies. Uh, that's the cowp side of the family, as opposed to the bamboo mm. side of the family. And um, and so, um, uh, yeah, that's about what I can say about that, really. They moved to the lakes while, um, while you went to uh, yeah, public school. Was, uh, yeah, and, my, and also my brother. My brother was four years younger than me. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'd, I'd been there, yeah, I, yeah, I'd been there. No, they must have, no, they must have moved just after I, I went. And I think my brother came along and, and he went to school, but he couldn't, couldn't get on with it, mm. didn't like school. You know, just wanted to be a farmer. That was it. Straight down. In fact, my mum, I, I'll get into this later on. I looked up to my mum as well before she died, bless her. And she told me that when I was about four or even earlier, I used to, I used to come into the kitchen and get all the pots and pans and, and spoons. And I used to knock seven bells out of pots and pans yeah. in the kitchen, you know? So to, I don't know what it is, you know, maybe something. <laughs> Genetic. You know, African or something. I don't know. Back to the, back to the, uh, back to the ancestors stuff. You know, mm. the Orishas, the Santeria, Juju, Voodoo. We'll get into that later. Santa Santeria, is that that religion from uh, Central America? Yeah. Oh, it is. Isn't it? And the Orishas from Africa. Right. Yeah. Shake the tree, build a fire, carry the flame. You know, right. Peter Gabriel. Whoa, oh, right. Yeah. We are shaking the tree. That's what that's all about. Mm. Usundur, brilliant. Love it. Love Usundur. <coughs> Went to Senegal to try and meet him. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> uh, didn't meet him, so it's a bit of a non story. Really. <laughs> didn't meet somebody else, I'll tell you about later. Uh, uh, and uh, bought a wonderful drum, which is the only drum I've got left now. It's a Pugarabu, which is a bit bigger than a djembe uh, from Senegal. It's in the other room. Anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, where was I? First drum kit. Ah, first drum kit, yeah. Now, in the local shop in Kendall, there was this drum kit. Um, and I asked me dad, I said, uh, you know, I think I was about 12 then. 12, probably. I said, to, you know, buy me a drum kit, you know. <laughs> Please. <laughs> uh, and he went, well, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll go and find out how much it is. And if you save up half the money, I'll put the other half to it. So that was it. You know, I'm cleaning people's cars, I'm mm. mowing people's lawns, I'm, you know, everything. I get the money. Unbeknownst to me, I should have known really because the bloody drum kit was in the shop window for a year. You know, he'd already bought it. Uh, you know, yeah. it. So, you know, I wish I had it now. It was a, 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 what's called an autocrat orchestral. 
Right. right. 28-inch fucking bass drum like this, two tom-toms off the side and uh, cymbal stands that went kind of over. They were called budgie cage stands. Oh, right. Yes. right. Yeah. You know, I remember seeing him on old, oh, like... Uh, and a snare drum and everything. Yeah. So a bit later on, I, I, I kind of swapped that for, you know, one of them, what, what's on the telly? I want one of them, yeah. you know, like the shadows. <laughs> do, 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 yeah. do, 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 do. You know, yeah. I want one of that Brian Bennett, good drummer Brian Bennett. And um, uh, so, yeah, I got my first drum kit and we, uh, we had this big radiogram. And there was a programme on then called Saturday Club. Right. Which took about nine, took a nine, 62, 63, you know, and people like the Spencer Davis group and the Kinks and and um, uh, Beatles and the Stones and everything. It was a bit like Ready, Steady, Go on the telly. And it was live in the studio. Right. And he, but he used to play records as well. And he used to play along to it, you know. I put something up on Facebook the other day. One of the one of the first songs that I ever played on a drum kit was "You Really Got Me" by the Kinks. Mm. You know that the na -na 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 -na, na -na 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 -na. I used to love it because of the, there's little drum breaks in the middle. You know where they went dun, dun, boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, right, the little drum breaks. Yeah. So that was one of the first. That was one of the first records I played to. Uh -huh. And that's how I learned, really. That's how I learned. Just uh, there listening to records and playing along to. Yeah, yeah. It's but then I met the some people. I met some people in Kendall. Um, oh, my fucking internet's fucked up. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's the orange light of death. That on a radio broadcast. <laughs> orange light of death on the modem. <laughs> oh, it's come back. It's back. It's back. All right. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, by then uh, I'd met some people up in Kendall, you know, bass players. Mm -hmm. I met this bass player and stuff. And they used to come around the house up there. It was quite a big house. So I had my drums set up and everything. And I, so I'd started playing with people then. You know, first of all, bass player Tony, the guy, and, and we formed a band. Right. How old are you in, at this point? 13. I think, right. 13. Yeah. And um, I, I did my first gig at Kendall Town Hall, paid, mm. uh, 14. Wow. wow. In 1964. Supporting a band called The Followers of Finkel. Right. You know, after Finkel Street. Yeah. And they were fucking ace. I got, you know, they were amazing. You know. What sort of music were you playing at that young age? Were you trying to copy well, like, the kids and a lot emulate of, them? Uh, yeah, we are playing a lot of Beatles tunes. Uh, uh, blues, you know, Fleet, the early Fleetwood Mac, mm -hmm. nice. you know, because we got a really good guitarist who who could do all that kind of uh, slide shit, you know. Sorry to break up, but we were at band practice on Tuesday, right. <laughs> and our guitarist, someone was playing a Fleetwood Mac song, and our guitarist, Angry Al, goes, fucking hell, I'd give that Lindsay Buckingham one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think a lot of people had conquered. <laughs> Ooh, fucking Lindsay apart Buckingham. Me, apart from yeah, me, then yeah, I've had some medical yeah. intrusions, which we'll go into later. <laughs> yeah, he was getting his Lindsay Buckingham's mixed up with his Stevie, Stevie Nicks. Nicks. Yeah. yeah, confusing. Yeah. But anyway, go on. So you're playing uh, Fleetwood Mac and stuff at Kendall Town Hall, was it? Kendall Town Hall, yeah. First paid gig. Yeah, yeah. And in those days, um, 
in those days, he used to play. We got signed up to a, an agency in Carlisle. Right. And he used to play um, little village halls, mm. you know, little village halls on a Saturday night, like Brigsteer and, you know, Grange Over Sands Memorial Hall on a, on a Friday, Saturday you know, or Sunday night. So they're playing about three gigs a week. Wow. But you were earning about five pounds a week, mm. which was a lot of money in those days. Oh, yeah. yeah. Five How many a shillings week. is that? <laughs> 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 I, bet there was, I bet there was no shortage of venues back in them days. Oh, you could, you, for paying. You know, you could play, venues. you could play, you could, you could have played seven days a week if you wanted really? to. Yeah, because these days, apart from the weekends, there's not a lot going on for bands, is there? No. You, you want to? Oh, it's a shame. Unless man, they yeah. do. I suppose the big ones are like weddings, aren't they? If you, yeah. You'd be yeah, a, if wedding you a wedding band. band yeah. You can charge. They charge I mean, about a grand, don't they? Yeah, and were, you met all these characters, you know. Uh, uh, I, the one that I'll never forget is Sedba, Sedba Village Hall. They built this new village hall, which was all modern and plate glass windows <gasps> like the door there yeah all, all the way around and oh, yeah, curtains yeah. and stuff and it was run by two little old women who also used to run the cinema right if you went to the cinema in Sedbert, one of the women used to used to you should take your money for your ticket when he went inside the other woman would show you to your seat mm -hmm. and then when it was kind of full and time for the film one woman would go up and show the film, right, and the other would go to the front and and, and pull, pull the, the curtain and pull the curtains, you know. <laughs> and, I, and these two, it was the only gig where we ever got tea and rock cakes <laughs> after the gig, rather than and, beer. But the, and... but the funny thing I'm going to tell you, <laughs> it was one of the most violent fucking Saturday nights <laughs> I've ever fucking seen in my life. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. The motorway guys were there. Right. Oh, they were building the, building the M6. Building the M6. Mm. Okay. Now, wow. these guys have got a lot of money in their pockets, you know? Yeah, and they're on to And the it. local farm workers around Sedba, very jealous. Mm. These guys coming in, pinching on women, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And every time we fucking played there, man, you could, you know, it was only a matter of time. <laughs> It's like a ticking time bomb. Like the bloody art. It was honestly, it was like the OK Corral. There were chairs and shit, you know, <laughs> all kinds of stuff like that. People going through plate glass windows, you know. And on, and on. Every time we played there. And there's just these two little old women used to come around. Yeah, well, we've had a bit of a night, but would you like some tea and a rock cake? You know. <laughs> crazy shit like that in those days. It was great, though, you know. It was great. Mm. So, um, what happened after school? Well, meanwhile at school, I, I'm in what's called the Command Cadet Force. Right. Which is the army bit again. Oh. And I wasn't about to, you know, tear us around fucking beak and fell with a 303 with blanks in it, shooting fucking people. So I joined the band again. I joined the army band right. again. And I got to be the lead snare drummer there. Now, the people in that band were all rebels and rock and rollers. And I mean, we had the key to the band room, you know? Uh. So, you see, by this time, I'm smoking, I'm mm. drinking, 
and I'm smoking Mary Jane, okay, mm. at school because I, well, I got into the wrong crowd. I was the wrong crowd. <laughs> 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 you understand what I mean? Yeah. So, and these guys, you know, we just used to go in the band room. So, oh, we're rehearsing. <laughs> you know, go in there and drink and everything and play rock and roll, mm. you know. So in the end, we had a school band right. as well. And a couple of guys from there and a couple of guys from from the band in Kendall, we got together and um, got to play some big gigs, you know, Manchester, Liverpool. We were going a bit, we were going a bit further abroad right. then, you know. So... Uh, but then two bands split up. There was a band called, we were called Mythology, there was another band called Earth, and, and two bands split up and then joined and then went down to London. Um, uh, called Peaches. And uh, <clears throat> so that was when I went down to London. Now, you went, this is this hmm. is the first time that I... I was nasty to my parents, especially my father, mm. because I got, for some reason, totally beyond me, I got very good A-levels. <laughs> I've got 12 O-levels, yeah. and I got three A-levels because I was doing languages, Spanish, French, and English. Right. You know. My grandmother was a Spanish gypsy, by the way. All right. All right. You know. I'll tell you about that later. Son of mine, poco sentianes, no comprende, yeah. Vamos. Take so, your word for it. Um, <laughs> I got really good results, and of course, my dad wanted me to go to university mm. because he never had the chance, you know. And what did I do? I turned around and told him I wasn't going to any fucking university. I'm going down to London with a rock and roll band. Fuck me. Mm. Yeah, bet that down, went down well, didn't it? Didn't speak to me for five years. Shit. Yeah, you know, I could ring up, you know. I could speak to mum. Mm. And I'd say, uh, any chance of a word with Dad, you know, and I could hear, you know, Ernie, do you want to speak to Jim? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but then I was on the BBC. Ah. Ah. <laughs> so you'd had your fill of education by the end of public school as well, and you wanted to uh, oh, I think so, yeah. go down to the big smoke. Oh, it, yeah. Go, it's a bit of an, event, an adventure, really, isn't it? Not really, you know. I was off me fucking tits on on yeah. various substances, and and that's what you did in those days, you know. I'm talking about 1967, the end of 1967. Oh man, so it's the swinging sixties, the you Austin know? Powers sort of. Yeah, that's yeah. when you went down to London. Fuck. I guess it was like a magnet for young people, wasn't it? Oh, at that it was time, fucking ace, man. Yeah, it was. It was more uh, so than it is today. It was. It was incredible, you know. Uh, I've got well the the first band that I went down on. We went down because we'd we'd uh, uh, our manager had already secured us a deal with a new um, EMI subsidiary called Harvest Records. Harvest, <laughs> called Harvest after a band called Barclay James. Yeah, Harvest. Barclay James Harvest. Barclay James Harvest, and um, and on this label there was the Moody Blues, uh -huh. Pink Floyd. Uh, heir apparent, who I've not heard of since. And, and they <clears throat> they brought a sampler out with two tracks from each band, you know. Right. Uh, and it went down well, and, and then they spent a lot of money on us. 
But both in Abbey Road. I've been in Abbey Road. Oh, you've two, recorded. You've yeah, recorded yeah. in Abbey two, Road. Two weeks in Abbey Road. Wow. Right. And and then our manager was ringing them up and saying, well, what's happening and all the rest of it. And we all got summoned to this guy's office at EMI, <laughs> Manchester Square in London. And he told us that, it, that EMI was writing us up as a tax loss. Fuck. Christ. You know, so he could, I, I soon found out who runs the music business. Mm -hmm. Lawyers and accountants. Yeah. yeah. Lawyers and accountants. Yeah, it's a product. Yeah. It's yeah. a product as far yeah, as they're yeah. concerned. Yeah. It's yeah. not art, is it? Mm. It's making money. So from there, uh, I, I got into doing, I, I was having lessons then, by then. Mm. I was having drum lessons. Uh, I, I had a, I had a choice of two guys to go for lessons. Um, and chose the wrong one, really. <laughs> mm. <laughs> to start with, we all make mistakes, you know. Um, there's a guy called John Heisman, who's a jazz drummer, married to a saxophone player called Barbara Thompson. He used to have a band called Coliseum. Right. And they're, 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 look him up, man, amazing drummer. And he was a clean machine. Mm. No drink, no drugs. He was a fitness fanatic. Straight Called edge. Up. Straight edge. We call edge. it this one yeah. today. Yeah. yeah. And the other guy was Ginger Baker. Oh, oh fucking man. hell. You had drum lessons off Ginger Baker? Fa famous addict. Mm. You know, uh, not very many. No. Oh. And the guy was a real pain, to be honest. Really? Well, he comes across as a fucking psycho when you see him on interviews and stuff. Ginger Baker. Yeah, he's a bit gnarly. Fucking damn right. also off his head. But uh, he introduced, this is where I, I, I started getting into, I suppose, what you call hard <laughs> drugs. He took me along to see his teacher at, who, who, the guy who was teaching him yeah. was a guy called Phil Seaman, who was a, <laughs> who was a, who was a famous... Uh, S E A M A. Oh shit! Sorry, in naughty person. <laughs> um, who was um, a famous jazz drummer? He used to play with uh, Tubby Hayes and, uh, and people in the jazz. Yeah, Ronnie Scotts took mm. me to Ronnie Scotts to see this guy. Now this guy came in. He had a shoulder bag with drumsticks sticking out of it, and he got a pint, a pint glass like that, and he poured it half full of vodka. Mm. Right, and then half half a lime juice, and then he took this little box out of his pocket, and he broke two ampules of pure methadrine, which is speed, speed, yeah, into it, and he downed the lot, and went on to play. Now I, I've never seen anything like this guy in my life. <laughs> he was like a he was like a whirlwind man, you know, <laughs> yeah. and an amazing drummer, you know. So I start getting what Miles Davis calls. Mixed messages. Yeah. Start getting the bad message, man. And the, and the bad message is, and uh, public broadcast information. <laughs> For all you people out there, to play the music that, that people play, you don't have to take the same substances that no, they use. No. You, know, got, you know, and that's a big warning to people, you know. Um, but that's a mistake I made. I thought to to play like these people, 
I have to do this. Mm. It would be like someone taking acid because they want to um, replicate the White Album or something like that. Yeah, or Hendrix. Or yeah, Hendrix, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, LSD, which you used to take on like mouthwash tablets. Really? Yeah. Fucking hell. So how, what was the first lesson with Ginger Baker like? Um, Where was it? Was it his gaff? No, it was in a, the back room of a club called Speakeasy in London, <laughs> which was on, I think, Margaret Street. But it was where all the, all the... You could go to the Speakeasy and see Clapton, Jeff Beck, <laughs> Hendrix. You oh, you've seen Hendrix All these people just, just drinking. It's milling about. <laughs> but there was a couple of really big guys on the door. You know, they wouldn't let anybody in. But because I was having, you know, lessons, I could get in. And he just said, can you do a parody? And I said, yeah. And can you do this and do that? He said, okay. And he gave me, he gave me two albums of African music. Right. Um, I, can't, I can't remember who it was, but it, he had, I mean, Ginger is an amazing guy, man, really. You know, he used to have a trucking company across the Sahara, you know. Wow, really? he, he invited me once to... He used to have a studio in Lagos in Nigeria. Wow. And he was the guy who brought um, a lot of African percussionists to London. If you've seen Ginger Baker's Air Force, you know, there was Prince Remy Kabaka, Gaspar Lawal, um, uh, loads of others. Um, I can't remember all of them. But he was influential in bringing all that African stuff to London. Mm. So did he used to go over sort of talent spotting to Africa? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he used to have a he used to have a studio in Lagos. Yeah, and also he set up this this safari trucking company across the Sahara, and he was the first guy that introduced me to kind of Berbers and Tuaregs. Mm, you yeah. know, this is a Tuareg, Tuareg. thing. You know, right. you know, there's guys out in the desert that play drums. You know, yeah. I'll tell you some great stories about that man. Unbelievable, you know. It's the same time as, you know, people like uh, Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones was, uh, you know, going out and recording the, those Jujuka, the the pipes of Jujuka, you know. You know, all, all kinds of uh, indigenous... Uh, everything was branching out. Right. Yeah. You know, the whole thing was... The whole music was kind of, you know, let's go back and discover something, you know. It was migrating from traditional yeah. rock and roll yeah, to yeah. try and... When you go through all that kind of thing, even in America, you know, even in America, you know, when you... I mean, one of my favourite favorite lines in... One of my favourite bands are the band, you know. Yeah. You know, the Levon Helm, fucking yeah, yeah, amazing yeah. drummer, amazing drummer. My favourite bit in the Last Wolf movie... It's where they're interviewing Levon, you know, and he's the only guy in the band that comes from, I don't know, Bumps up Arkansas or somewhere, you know. <laughs> he's a kind of southerner, you know. And the guy's saying, well, what, what is it about music? He's talking about music. And he's saying, well, you know, you had all these kind of, you had all these blues players around in Mississippi and Louisiana. And he said, you had the jazz people in New Orleans, which kind of moved up and it kind of moved up into Memphis. And then he said, "You have the the kind of country fiddle players and the and the country and western slide guitarists, and all the rest bluegrass. of bluegrass, came bluegrass and all that kind of thing." And he he said it, it all kind of came together in in kind of Memphis and 
and uh, you know around there natural and all that and the guy just says uh, and what's that music called and he says fucking rock and roll <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like a <laughs> you know like a melting pot wasn't it yeah you know it sucked everything and, in. Uh, as soon as you get into that and you start and you start looking at the history of this stuff it, it's it's incredible you know mm-hmm. and since then i've i've had to, i've been very fortunate and traveled in africa you know and you know watched some of these people play and uh and and got into the history of it and uh, yeah it's it's a fascinating thing yeah it must be great to actually go to these places and see it perform yeah, live I, in, in its natural environment as well I, you get the full I, experience absolutely amazing you know remember it's um darwin live a few a long a lot of years ago maybe 10 years ago i went and there was an indoor i don't know what the venue was but it was like a an indoor small theater and there was an african guy they brought over playing there and uh it was just it was hip it was i was just transfixed to it it was hypnotic he was playing guitar but he wasn't playing guitar like i'd had, i'd heard before and then he had two he had two drummers with like upright sort of conga type large drums yeah. in front one on either side or well, one was like a, it was like a boulder it looked like a boulder this thing yeah 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 I don't know what you call it, and he no, was so I've, tapping, I've what that, yeah. tapping in it with his fingers like a tapping typewriter. It, <laughs> it was uh, mad, yeah. but it was it was amazing. If you, get, if you go to India, for example, they play big pots, mm. big earthenware pots with the fingers. Really? Yeah, and if you if you slap the if you slap the neck of the pot on the top, you get that beautiful kind of. Whoop dealing, whoop dealing, right. you know, like tablers. Yeah. Mm. I've got a, when I first went down to London, uh, a friend of mine took me to see Ravi Shankar, right? Right. Sitar player at the um, at the Albert Hall. He died recently, I think, didn't yeah. he? Couple and he had he had um his daughter Anushka, by the way, is one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. Mm. But we we'll, won't we'll go there. <coughs> but he, he he had this little drummer called Alaraka. You've seen those Buddhas, you know, the mm-hmm. back Buddhas that just kind of sit there, you mm. know, with a big belly, same shape as me, really, <laughs> you know, with a big smile on the face, yeah. you know. He was just exactly like that, <laughs> knelt in front of these things. And this guy was playing 42 beats to the bar, man. <laughs> because if you, uh, if you look into tablas, Indian tablas, yeah. you know, um, you've got five drumsticks. Mm-hmm. On that hand, yeah. and they use this hand to do that beautiful kind of liquid. Mm-hmm. You know that beautiful. So I, I, I thought, right, okay, I'm gonna have a go at this. I'll go for some lessons. Southall, big Indian community in Southall, yeah. London. I went along, thinking oh, I'm master of this in a couple of weeks. <laughs> you know, fucking <laughs> arrogant, fucking Young. ignorant. Come, yeah. but. Uh, and this guy would not let me even approach the instrument right. for about a month. Wow. I have to get the right mental attitude towards the... And I don't know whether you know, but tablas is a language. Sitar music, all, all those ragas and, and all that kind of thing, it's a language. Right. So the two people on stage that I was watching were talking to each other. Really? You know, you can have conversations. Through the music. You know. I've never heard that. If you watch it, this guy gave me exercises where you, 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 you slap your fingers off oh, to the yeah. side like this, and you've got, you've got to have 
one thing to doing one thing and then slap that off to get that pang, you know, and all that, you know. And every time he used to come back, if I hadn't learned it, it it's, first of all, I had to go through the ritual of, you know, blessing the drum and wow. getting in touch with the spirits and all, all, all the rest of it and all that kind of, And then you have a ritual of tuning them up and everything. And then I'd start the exercise. And if I got anything wrong, he used to have a stick. He used to whack me on the knuckle, knuckles with his stick and say, go away! <laughs> that was the lesson. Looking worse than Ginger Bakery. Fucking <laughs> hell. You know. So, wow. Yeah. I tried, but oh, possible. And what I re I'd realised is when I looked into it, Al Araka, that was the guy's name, the drummer, may rest in peace, fantastic tabla player. Um, in the Indian social world, um, you know, when kids are brought up in a family, you know, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a, yeah, you're going to be a tabla player. Really? And so, and so he, yeah, classical, classical Indian right. music, you know. Yeah. So he'd been learning this stuff from the age of about three, <laughs> and he was 60-something then. Wow. You know, so, so you know, and here's me thinking, oh, a couple of weeks in South or <laughs> you know, yeah, it was like a... so and so ignorance. <laughs> That's bliss, you know. That's when you come up against a, a grandmaster, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's the ten thousand hour rule taken to its extreme, Absolutely, isn't it? Yeah. You know, someone who's yeah. been doing it day in day out for sixty years. I mean, you yeah. can't hope to compete, can you? Oh, well, the next lessons. Funny you should say, grandmaster. The next lessons I had was from a man called Brian Spring. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know whether he's alive or dead, this guy, but um, he was interested. I think Moses, who was the... You see, one of my favourite haunts in the early days was Ronnie Scott's. As soon as I got into Ronnie Scott's, man, that, that was it, you know. I watch all those jazz drummers and all that, you know. Elvin uh, Jones and people. Uh, amazing. Um and there's a big black guy called Moses on the door, and I got really friendly with him, and he just winkled in, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I saw this guy playing with uh, a Scottish saxophone player called Don Weller, uh, the Don Weller Quartet, Brian Spring. And I I, I pestered him and pestered him. Um, and I also saw him in a band called Nucleus. Um, and... Um, incredible drummer and I kept pestering him and pestering him and by then I, I was doing I was playing in a kind of jazz rock fusion band I think they used to call them in those days yeah. and we were kind of touring Europe and um, and I'll, I'll never forget this I think we're in Germany somewhere if memory serves I'm just sitting in the bar where we're playing and he just walked in the door he just walked in the door and he pulled up three bar stools. Right. Hit him there, me there, and one in the middle. And he took out these drumsticks and he said, I want you to learn this by the next time I see you. Oh, I'll never speak to you again. And he showed me it and then slowed it down and then said, There, next time I see you, if you can't do that, that's it. That's it. Wow. So I went with him for a while. And this guy, man, for years, had lived nothing but drums, mm. nothing but drums. He was quite proud of the fact that he'd had six divorces. Fucking hell. You know what I mean? Absolutely blink, blinkered, blinkered yeah. on drums. Mm. And, so, 
So he was, so a, fair, he was a fair bit older, I guess, then. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I'm talking, what, kind of 69, probably now, 70, something like that. So I was, what, 20? And he'd be, oh, yeah, he'd be, you know, 50s. Right. Fucking amazing drummer. Um, and he was the guy who introduced me to Billy Cobham. Oh, who's he the drummer for? Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, is it was he a session musician? Billy Cobb, Cobham is a is a he's from Panama, um, but I, I thought he was from New York. But the first time I saw him, he was with uh, a guitarist called John McLaughlin in the Ma, what's called the Mahavishnu Orchestra, right. and I'd never seen anything like this guy. I mean, he's built like a boxer. He's built like Anthony Joshua. <laughs> You know, massive forearms. Yeah. And, I mean, the power that he's got under his hands are it's just awesome. You know, he'll just put his hands down and it'll just be... You know, so fast and so slick. Mm. Two strokes with each hand, three strokes with each hand. Wow. All, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I kind of... I started going to his clinics and... Uh, uh, and up until... Up until just before my operation, the cancer, which we'll get to kind of later, mm. um, I've been going to his clinics ever since. You know, the guy's just a, an amazing drummer because he <coughs> he can whisper and roar mm. and and everything in between. You mm. know, dynamics. It's dynamic. Yeah, his mm. dynamics are just. Uh, John Bonham had it. Yeah. You know, he could kind of do that but this guy's a, a, an absolute master it's one of the hardest yeah. things i've found to do i'm not a drummer by any stretch i can mm. play a little bit but i found that was the hardest thing it seemed yeah. to be for me it was it was 100 percent or zero mm. it was hard to play uh subtly and quietly you've got to do a certain amount of practicing mm. really i that's where i got into the kind of uh speed <laughs> we used to have two uh, Brian Spring, the guy I was talking about, gave me these two really heavy drumsticks, right, yeah, and a and a and a rubber pad, and it gave me stuff to learn, you know. Yeah. So I just used to, you know, down a few blueies, and up I went for about six or seven hours, you know. That's what I used to do. I know it's don't listen to that, kiddies. <laughs> Uncle Jim didn't really say that. <laughs> You'd have been just as good without the gear. Yeah. I think so, yeah, yeah. you know. But, um, well, I have a lovely story about Billy Cobham. Um, I'll, t I'll tell you my the last clinic I went to first. I mean, he's, I'm into neuroscience, you know, neurobiology. Right. And stuff in a big way, mm. then, you know. Um, uh, and he's being studied at the moment in, in New York because the way he sets his drums up is just... A fulcrum, you know, like a cross, you know, right. left, right, left, right, center, center, and he just sits and he hardly moves at all. It's amazing watching him. Mm. And what they're doing is because he's got such an incredible independence, foot, left and right, left and right, and right yeah. and left and, le and, and sideways and up. You know, they're, they're having a look at his brain. Fuck it, no, oh. yeah, because he's. Because they talk about the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, yeah. and drumming, it's yeah. hard. You, you you want your right foot to do something independently from your right hand. Yeah. 
and it's hard to get you have this epiphany when you've been playing for a while mm. and you, you start noticing that you're seeing this separation of control yeah. almost subconsciously it just starts happening yeah and it's, it's like, just it's one of the hardest things to get it's like you start up you're doing one two three four two i could do four with this three with this yeah you see what i mean mm. it's the same thing except so the, <coughs> the last uh, the last clinic i went the way that the way that billy Cobham does his clinics is that he has all his drums set up in cases mm-hmm. sorry he has his drums in cases not set up right on stage and he'll just wander in off the street, you know, with a scarf and a hat, and then set his drums up and tell you new bits of kit he's got and how he tunes them and, and all the rest of it. Um, and the last clinic I went to was in um, uh, the Band on the Wall in Manchester. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. And I just had the kit on the stage, and he wandered in and uh, set his drums up, and then he does about... 10 or 15 minutes just to drop your jaws. Your place is full of drummers. <laughs> place is full of drummers. Just you know? to make you sick, yeah. yeah. place is full of drummers, you know. And um, and then he does, uh, you know, about an hour or so of questions, you know, because drummers are really like, anal people. You know? <laughs> he goes, uh, Billy, uh, I see that you've bought the new Pearl GT overhead cam bumpers front and rear racing steering wheel 42,600 uh, bass drum pedal. Could you tell, you know, that? or when you were playing with the Marvishnu Orchestra on the 32nd bar, you know, when you played a two stroke flam paradiddle, could you show us that please and slow it down? You know, all that kind of crap. Yeah, what, what torque settings are you using on your drive, pedal drive, pedal? And the, is it the double reinforced springs or the. Uh... Oh dear. Yeah, all, all that kind of stuff. And then he said, and then, I'll, I'll never forget this. And then he said, okay, people, that's it, questions. I'm going to show you what I'm up to at the moment. Now, there used to be a, a, a vibes player um, whose name name escapes me at the minute, but he used to he used to play with two two mallets in each hand. Is that vib- Is it vibraphone? You yeah, mean? vibraphone. Right. Well, anyway, his name's gone. Mm. So he bent down, Billy, and he picked up two more drumsticks. So he's got you no. Know, it's got a big double kit there with everything set up. So it's got two drumsticks in this hand and two drumsticks in this hand. The guy in front of me, the guy in front of me stood up and shouted, No! 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 And then sat down. And for the rest of the night, he just sat there crying. <laughs> crying, man. He was playing you know, the two sticks because in his hand. He started, he, he does these amazing funk shuffles, you know. And he, so he started it off, hi-hat bass drum and one hand, you know, with that kind of... And you're thinking, fucking hell, that's ace. And then you realise he's got another foot and, and two more sticks. Fucking You man. know, just awesome, yeah. man, the guy, you know. But I got invited to a special, because I've been going to his clinics for a long time, a lot of the people who'd subscribed for a long time got invited to the Royal College of Music in London. Mm. There's about 35 of us, all in a circle, you know, and the usual stuff. Billy came in, drums in the middle, you know, and this is when I got clean. I got clean from the drugs. Right. And um, 
So I set the drums up and everything and did the usual usual stuff. And I'm set sat next to a, a guy called Rod Coombs, who I've, I've known for ages. He was in, I think he was in a band called the Savoy Blues Band. Great, really lovely drummer. And we were just talking. And he said, Jim, look, Billy wants to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. I went, ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was beckoning me with his finger. And I'm going, who, me? <laughs> you know. So I went out to talk to him, and the first thing he said, he said, he said, you've been coming to my clinics for some time now, haven't you? He said, what's your name? I said, Jim. He said, Jim, just got one thing to tell you. I'm really glad you're off that shit. He could see it in you. Fucking hell. So what? A a lovely man, a lovely guy. What what age did you get clean then? Uh, Got clean... In 1996, when I, when I really started, you know, because I, I, I kind of stopped and started and stopped and started, ah, a, bit, right. a bit like smoking, you know. Right. I, I couldn't start, I, I couldn't live with them, I couldn't live without it, and all the rest of it, you know. Right. You know. Um, but when I finally got down to doing, to doing it seriously, yeah. So I've been, yeah, I take, uh, yeah, I'm 22 years Wow. No yeah. mind-altering substances. Yeah. Do you drink? No. No. Did you, was that, is that conscious? Did you give up at the same time? Uh, well, I'll tell you about my last relapse, mm. what they call a relapse in the business. I was walking along Morecambe Seafront, and the ad said, a small Jack Daniels and lemonade and ice, because it was a lovely sunny day, won't do me any harm. You know, that nasty voice. Mm. Go on, won't do you any harm. You know, um, 10 days later, I woke up in a hotel in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the way I, you know, unfortunately, you know, I don't, you know, of course, I had one and then I had a double and then I had some more. And then it's, uh, you know, I'm knocking on my dealer's door and off I go, you know, because yeah. it's that first one that does the damage. Al- Once, al- alcohol was like the gateway. Yeah, well, it it doesn't matter what it is, but it's the first one. Alcohol is probably the worst drug on the planet, by the way. I'd agree with you. Yeah. 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 And it kills more people than heroin, cocaine, speed, ice, methamphetamine put together. Mm. Alcohol is a nasty, nasty fucking... And it's not just that, it's the social costs, violence in town centres, vandalism. There's all sorts of domestic violence. Yeah, if you... um, uh, I mean, also, it's the only mind-altering substance that you can die from the withdrawals. Yes. Yeah, Isn't that what happened to Amy Winehouse? Apparently so, what, yeah. didn't, Wasn't she sober and then she went on a bender and it killed her? Because you, you lose your tolerance for alcohol after, I think, it's 12 weeks. If you, if you drink fairly regularly. there's a bit more to it than that. Yeah. I'm, I've, I'm, I've done some work for the Amy Winehouse Foundation. Have you? A, a really good friend of mine... Um, uh, uh, works for them because they've got a new centre in Blackpool. Right. And, um, Was that set up by her dad after she died? Yeah. Ma- right. Max, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I won't go into that. No, it's tragic. But it's, it's story. Um, ah, she was fucking awesome. Yeah, um, incredibly gifted. And, uh, died age 27. Yeah. Like Hendrix, like, like Brian yeah. Jones, like Janice Joplin, like. Cobain. 
Cobain, twenty-seven. Mm. Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison. Yeah. Hendrix. Did we have Hendrix? Yeah, Hendrix. Yeah, yeah. Twenty-seven. Brian uh, from Stones. Brian. Yeah. 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 The famous twenty-seven club. Yeah. So <clears throat> I can't remember where I was. Though. Remind me. No, I can't. Uh, um, we talked about ninety-six. You were clean. Oh, yes, I think got, we yeah, skipped clean. ahead yeah, from seventy-one yeah. to ninety-six. And I was. Uh, you see, at the end, what 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 drugs do to you in the end is, you know, you, they completely fuck you up. Yeah. You know, and um, I mean, by then, I I'd built up quite a reputation as being, you know, a go-to drummer, and I was doing sessions, and I was doing tours, mm. I was doing TV, I making doing, good money. Yeah, making yeah. great money. Yeah, I used to have a place in the Bahamas, man. Hey? Nice. Wow. Yeah, I'll show you later on. It's uh, a bit of a trick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but hey, fucking, you'd see that turquoise water. Look, you'd see that turquoise oh, water, that's man. Awesome, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, but in the end, you know, you start getting sloppy because, the, you know, the drugs take over, man. That's the problem. The drugs, you know, they... I suppose if, if you're young, free and single in the big smoke... Earning good money, doing what you love doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This temptation must be pretty. Uh... But I was at it before I went down there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'd I'd already had my, uh, you know, my first cigarette. Mm. This was the first drug I ever took. Same here. Cigarette, and then and then alcohol, and then marijuana, and then LSD, and then speed, and and on and on. You know, just. What you was know. your drug of choice? Cocaine, speed, and, and Jack Daniels. Mm. Have you ever done heroin? Uh, I used to smoke opium. Opium? Right, is that a similar sort of well, deal? Well, it's, it's an opioid, it's, yeah. Right, it's a, you see, I've had, I've had morphine after all my... Yeah, <laughs> after, medical. After all my... Um, medical heroin. Medical intrusions, yeah. 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 What do you think? I mean, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies, you know... Uh, forward slash mafia, <laughs> you know. I mean, look at the state of America now, man, and, and prescribe medication. Yeah, fentanyl crisis. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah fentanyl. Oxycontin. Killed, Oxycontin. Killed Prince and Michael Jackson. Yes. You know? Yeah. And countless, probably oh, thousands of, of oh, just yeah. normal. You hear about people getting a back injury yeah. and they get and put on bang. oxys. And on they the never street. get they never get off it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On the yeah it's, it's a wicked, it's wicked, man. And the promotion that various companies did for that is wicked. Yeah, you know. Well, they have different rules. They can advertise pharmaceuticals anywhere yeah. in the states. Yeah. So talk to your doctor. Yeah. I'd tell you adverts for it. Don't oh they? God, it's, yeah, it's it's bad over there, man. Yeah. What do you, as someone who's experienced a lot of different drugs, what what would you consider was the most damaging? Um, alcohol, I think. Yeah. Combination of stuff, man, really. You know, towards the end, uh, you know, I don't know whether you, anyway, uh, you know, Dr. Feelgood, oh. you know, yeah, they've yeah. got him on drug, they've got him on drugs and alcohol, they've got him on milk and alcohol, isn't it? Yeah. You know, down got to the doctors. You know, alcohol. got him on milk and alcohol. I mean, I was waking up in the morning, a bit like that guy I was telling you about in Ronnie Scott's, with half a glass of milk, half a glass of Jack Daniels, I'd 
That was oh. breakfast. God. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes with a raw egg in it, sometimes not. And then I'd start on the pills and powders after that. Ugh, and if you came across me, man, you know, I was a nasty piece of work. I, I was, you know, towards we, the we end. drinking all day? Oh, God. Every yeah. day? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, there's only, you know, and like I said before that, you get to the stage where you can't live with it and you can't live without it and uh, all, all kinds of stuff, you know. Um uh, I mean, I, I really tried to do away with myself once. Yeah. You know, and I did it the right way. I got the scar, did Fuck. it downwards, not across. Oh, and I woke up, you know. But so, but uh, towards the end of my uh, career, I was getting sloppy, you know. The phone calls weren't coming in, obviously, you mm. know, because you don't want to ring somebody up who's two hours late and when he arrives, he's pissed yeah, or, yeah. or out of his brains or something. Did you feel, when you were younger, did you feel that you needed the drugs to get the, your performance in the drumming? Well, I told myself that lie. Yeah, you said it's like know, a crutch. Because uh, uh, I, I'm glad I, I got off all that before I came up to look after my father. Mm. So I came, I came back up from London. Um, I spent some time with a friend of mine in Morecambe, but my dad was really poorly and decided to move in with my mum and dad you know, to look after my dad. I was so pleased I did that. Mm. Um, uh, but since got, getting clean, I've got, I got back into playing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I bet it's, I, I bet you almost rediscovered it. Mm. Cause you know, if you're off your tits, most of your yeah. playing career, it'd be like learning the instrument all over again. Probably. Yeah. And I had some, I had some really good friends up here from the early days. And we got a band together, uh, um, Underground Ballroom, we were called in the end, with various names, but with some really great old friends of mine. Um, I don't know whether you know Gary Thistlesweight, who works at, up at Promenade Music in Morecambe. No. One of the finest bass oh, players I've, sure. ever, oh, I've really? ever come across. You know, when I was working for the Mad Professor doing my reggae album, right, the Mad Professor thought that I'd hired Marcus Miller. Wow. Right? That's praise indeed. He came in and he said, Jim, I want Marcus Miller's number. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I've been listening to the tracks you're putting down because I was working with his son, and uh, his son Joe. And he said, I want Marcus Miller's number now. And I've been trying to get in touch with him for years. <laughs> I went, Marcus Miller, what the fuck are you talking about? He said, that's Marcus Miller on there, surely. I said, no, it's not. It's my friend Gary. <laughs> from Morecambe. It's my friend Gary from Morecambe, who, who works in promenade music. And he said, yeah. And, but when he saw him play, <laughs> the guy's a wonderful bass player. Nice. Wonderful. Plays on all my CDs. Right. That's mostly Gary on there, you know. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful right. stuff. So, yeah, when I... When I um, I found myself with some time because I'd, I'd organised, you know, some care for my parents. Although I was living, I was living in a dorm, a bungalow. You know, there was a, a room and a bathroom upstairs, mm. so I'd moved in with them. So I had the kind of top bit, and the parents underneath. And I found myself, uh, you know, I had some time free, you know, mm. yeah. and some friends of mine, uh, a, a really good friend of mine out in it in the Bahamas, a Jamaican guy, actually, but he died from sickle cell anemia. Ooh. And uh, 
And so uh, uh, these friends of mine said, well, there's two friends of mine, Adrian and um, Mark. I can't remember what their second name is. Anyway, they, they have a studio, a church at Scorton. Mm. And uh, actually some of my relatives are actually in the in the graveyard. But they de... de Concentrate. Yeah, deconsecrated. Yeah, de Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the church and built a, a studio. Uh-huh. And they said, um, you know, said, well, have you ever thought of making your own music, Jim? And I went, well, you know, I'm a drummer, but actually, you know, I'm not Billy Cobham. <clears throat> and they said, no, you know, just what's your favourite reggae track? And I went, uh, Dennis Brown tune. He said, well, listen, why don't come in? We'll give you a half price on some studio time. And, um, and uh, you know, do your favourite reggae track and a bit of a dub on the back, you know, bring it out as a single and make some money for Sickle Cell. Yeah. I couldn't really argue with that. No. And That's they introduced great. me to this young uh, engineer who introduced me to all kinds of stuff, you know, left field, uh, you know, the Chemical Brothers, you know, at the Afro-Celtic sound system, yeah. you know. Uh, all, all that stuff, which I'd never heard before. Yes. And uh, and we got on like a house on fire, so one track turned into my first CD. Nice. So that's how that worked. Yeah. But we skipped ahead a bit now, haven't we? I know. But there you go. I was thinking we've, well, we've done an hour and 20 minutes. I don't oh. want to keep you too late, Jim, because it's, oh. it's knocking getting to 12, uh, 10 bells. Well, you can always come again. <laughs> I, I would love to. I'd, thanks for doing great. this, Jim. It's absolutely no problem. The thing, you see, the thing, what I was trying to emphasise there was when I got clean and got back into playing, mm. I hadn't forgotten any, everything, you know, but everybody said, you know, your playing is, is just better than it's ever been, yeah. you know. Oh, that's great. Really yeah. good. Good. It's a good so, positive note to end on, I think. So for those... For those 10 years, my first 10 years, as we say, clean, you know, I was working with that band and making my own music. You know, I was back in really, really enjoying it, man. Mm. You know, clean. Yeah. You know, I could hear stuff, you know, my imagination had come back. Mm. You know, I wasn't I wasn't out, you know, every yeah. morning looking for this, that and the other, you know. No, you had your full oh, oh, consciousness. Crap. Yeah, yeah, man. You know. You know, it's a great thing and it's a gift, you know. Yeah. I've been yeah. given a gift. Absolutely, it's like waking yeah. up from waking up from trying to commit suicide. Okay. You start thinking, uh, why? You know? Mm. You know? Well, and, uh, there's something going on there, you know, which I, I don't understand, but I'm I'm I mean I'm I'm still here. And as I'll tell you probably well, in the next I was time, gonna say we haven't touched on cancer, we haven't touched on the young ones. Yeah, I was I was given six or twelve months to live. Know. You know, Stand up comedy we haven't years talked ago. about. I think <laughs> I think we we definitely have to do this again and yeah, we should, delve yeah. further. Is there a dire, dire straits connection or did I dream you tell me about that? Well I I uh, made quite a bit of money and uh, I bought myself um a little two up two down house with about a hundred foot of garden. Hmm. Semi-detached, bijou-s style cottage dwelling. Very nice. In, in Richmond upon Thames. <laughs> if I had it now, it'd be worth about two and a half million. Fuck yeah. you, know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, but I got a mortgage in those days. Got a mortgage because I was working in the theatre then. Um, steady job kind of thing. And uh, but then I, I I sold that 
and moved across to South East London and did away with my mortgage because the houses were so much cheaper, yeah. you know, in, in, in South East London, on the kind of Lewisham, Blackheath borders, but just, just down the road from Blackheath is, De is a place called Deptford. Mm. Now, Deptford High Street in those days, th th there was music in every single pub. And there must have been oh, a dozen pubs down Deptford High Street. There was Squeezing One, regular band, nice. Dire Straits. Dire Straits used to play the Duke and another pub, which was owned by a couple of gangsters, which I'll tell you about later. <laughs> uh, some funny stories there about those points, I tell you. Um, uh, and so, yeah, the, all that scene was kind of around there, you know. Mm. You know. Very good. Especially Squeeze. Um, there was, uh, you know, some other people down there who were, yeah, it was a great music, uh, great musical hub, mm. Deptford, right. you know, at one time. You're in the middle of it. Yeah, man. The right place at the right time. Well, I was just up the road, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very yeah. good. Excellent. Well, on that note, I think we'll say thanks very much, Jim, for doing this. Yeah, and thank you. It's an absolute we, pleasure, man. We shall return for part two, no doubt. We yeah. will. An yeah. absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. It. I don't know when, but uh, keep keep tuned and we'll sort something out in a few yeah. weeks and and uh, reconvene. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a multi-parter, isn't it? It's yeah, definitely. <laughs> an yeah. anthology. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Take care, Eve's Droppers. We'll see you next week. All right. See you. Bye. Wow. <laughs> it's really been about an hour and a half.